When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Could you whisper in my ear The things you want to feel I'll give you anything To feel it coming Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast, bowl game recap edition. My name is Joey Weaver. I'm a Georgia Tech grad and a Louisville fan. He is Mike McDaniel. He's a Virginia Tech grad and a Notre Dame fan. Mike, first question, did you enjoy bowl season? I did. Can't believe it's pretty much over. we got the national championship left, but as far as the ACC teams are concerned, we are done, Joey. Yeah, it went quick, it um, and, and sadly, we are done before the national title game. That, um, unfortunately for Clemson, could have gone a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to sit here and recap all these bowl games here. And uh, that's, let's just start there, Mike, with the uh, the All-State Sugar Bowl on uh, New Year's night. It was number four, Alabama 24, number one, Clemson 6. I think it's fair to say, first of all, that, um, you know, what this score looks like is that, you know, Alabama was just – obscenely better than Clemson. I don't know that I would go that far, um, but certainly Alabama was able to produce points much more effectively than Clemson was. Um, I, you know, I was impressed by Clemson's defense. I thought they held up particularly well in this game against uh, Alabama, especially at times, you know, getting a short field to defend Clemson's offense had every, every bit of issue that they could have had moving the ball in this game, you know, on the ground, through the air, everything. Um, Clemson finishes this game with 188 yards of offense, and I think that was really what did him in. Um, Alabama got up 10 nothing early and just sort of cruised from there. I, Mike, I thought it was pretty obvious that there was one big difference in this game from previous years, uh, Clemson-Alabama, is that their quarterbacks were in number two and not number four. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, not having Deshaun Watson, I mean, it was pretty apparent. You saw the limitations that Clemson had offensively. This was really the first game all year where Clemson was really exposed uh, by a defense that could really um, magnify the flaws that the Tigers had on offense. Uh, you look throughout the ACC schedule this year for Clemson, and we took a look at it at the beginning of the year, and you know we saw they were playing Auburn. We figured that would be a tough game for them. You know we considered the Florida State game to be tough, Louisville to be semi-tough. You know obviously Clemson had to go to Blacksburg to play Virginia Tech. We thought that might be a tough game. You know, and coming into into this Sugar Bowl, Clemson's only loss was that surprise against Syracuse. And besides that, the Tigers' offense was really able to navigate a pretty, you know, a pretty tough schedule. But the defenses that they played against, you know, whether it be Auburn's defense, Virginia Tech's defense, Florida State's defense, none of the defenses that Clemson played up until this game against Alabama really was able to expose the Tigers, slow down the run game, make Kelly Bryant beat you through the air. None of those defenses that the Tigers played up until this point were able to really contain Clemson the way that Alabama was able to contain Clemson in the Sugar Bowl. And a lot of this had to do, in my opinion, with Alabama's linebackers getting healthy. I thought the front seven was phenomenal. Uh, They won the battle in the trenches. And when you really consider the fact that 
Alabama had only one true touchdown drive in this game, and that's in the first quarter. They had the 12-yard pass from Jalen Hurts to Calvin Ridley, capping off an eight-play, 46-yard drive to make it 10 to nothing. Besides that, the only other offensive touchdown was the Deron Payne uh, touchdown catch, which was awesome, right? Um, mm-hmm. They're calling it the thick six, which is hilarious. When oh, that's hell yeah. Yeah, catching the touchdown pass there. And, but that was set up by an interception. And then, of course, you know, a couple minutes later, not even a couple minutes later, about a, about 13 or 14 seconds later, uh, as the game clock was concerned, Alabama intercepted that pass. Um, it was Mac Wilson running it in from 18 yards out on the interception of Kelly Bryant, and that sealed it up. It was 24 to six at that point, and Clemson was toast. And even when it was 10 to six in the third quarter, and Alabama was leading, it never really felt like the game was all that close because Clemson really couldn't get anything going on offense, whether it be in the run game or the passing game. There was an explosive play here or there, maybe Kelly Bryant on a scramble, or whether it be Feaster or Travis Etienne, like making a nice little run to pick up a first down. That was really all that the Tigers had going. Like you mentioned, 188 total yards. Um, time of possession was pretty similar. Alabama held the ball for about five more minutes, and they were similar in the amount of first downs they gained. Alabama 16 to Clemson's 14, but this game was really won by the Alabama defense. It was just so suffocating, and you know the Crimson Tide offense wasn't great in this football game, but they had enough to get the job done, and at the end of the day, that's all that they needed when their defense was that good. And the question that we posed in the podcast, Joey, for the preview was whether or not Alabama's defense at full strength would be that much better than Clemson's offense to really control the game and completely dictate what the Tigers were going to do and we saw what the answer was they are indeed that good when they're healthy and this is a really dangerous football team at this point and a team that I know is only a three or four point favorite heading into a national championship against Georgia but really hard to envision Alabama losing that game if they play as well as they did in the Sugar Bowl. Yeah, I, I, Mike, I think that the most telling thing to me, you, you mentioned kind of the way that Alabama scored in this game. So you, they scored three touchdowns, one of them on defense. So they scored two touchdowns on offense, one of them on a 27-yard drive, one of them on a 46-yard drive. So it's not like you know they were just moving the ball all up and down the field on Clemson. Alabama finishes with 261 total yards. And they outgained Clemson by 73, call it. You know, Clemson finishes with 188. So this is, you know, sure, Alabama wins by 18 points, you know, and it looks like a blowout. But really, they were just very opportunistic uh, on defense, kind of setting up some short fields and taking advantage of a really deficient Clemson offense. Um, Kelly Bryant finishing with 50% completion, you know, on 36 attempts for only 124 yards and two picks. I, I mean, that's just... That's not going to get it done, but I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, I don't know that you can blame any one person or group here. I mean, he wasn't getting a lot of protection. His receivers weren't really getting open. It was just kind of a disaster for Clemson on offense, top to bottom. They just got suffocated by a really good Alabama defense. And as you mentioned, with those linebackers healthy again, I think we all, first of all, we never really got to see to begin with just how good that Alabama defense could be, considering that most of their injuries had happened like in week one against Florida State. But we also didn't really realize how good they were going to be when they came back. And so, uh, you know, that's kind of what we saw there uh, during this game. And so, yeah, I, I thought a commendable effort from Clemson here. I mean, they didn't they didn't lay down and quit. It's just that nothing really worked on offense. The defense held up really well, especially in the second half playing from way behind. Um, so, so props to them. But, uh, yeah, at the end of the day, Alabama 24, Clemson 6, and uh, tied going back to the national title game, Mike. That's that for our ACC national title chances. Yeah, so much for that. 
Uh, maybe we'll talk about the national title game here in a little bit. But uh, for now, that's all I got here if you're ready to move on. Yep, moving on. Sorry, Clemson fans. Sorry, Andrew Parker. Moving on, Capital One Orange Bowl, number six, Wisconsin 34, number 10, hometown Miami 24. What a weird game this was. Yeah, super weird game, Mike. Um, this was this was something, and, and kind of ebbed and flowed in both directions for both teams. Um, I think if you had told me before the game that Alex Hornibrook was going to come out and throw for 258 and four touchdowns and no picks, uh, I would have thought a little differently than I did when I picked Miami to win this game outright, but... Uh, Man, this game was really weird, and uh, overall didn't seem like a really particularly great showing for Miami as as much as they've given us really good showings at home this year. Yeah, and you know what's funny? I mean, Miami was up 14-3 to at the end of one, and I remember texting my buddies. I was like, okay, like this is kind of what we were expecting. Miami's extremely explosive, and Wisconsin has no answers. It's going to be the slow, methodical offense. Hand it to Jonathan Taylor try to be opportunistic in the passing game with Alex Hornibrook in the play-action passing game. And then the game just kind of completely turned. Malik Rozier, of course, throws three interceptions. And uh, I, look, if Miami wants to make a true college football playoff run next year, they need to get better play out of the quarterback position. Um, they're young on defense and extremely athletic. They're young on offense and extremely athletic. The one question mark and the one deficiency on their team right now is the starting quarterback. And Malik Rozier, he's been good at times this year. He's been bad at times this year. He's been extremely inconsistent, to be fair. 11 of 26, 203, touchdown and three picks in this football game. His three interceptions really turned the game because Wisconsin got it going on offense. And Jonathan Taylor, 26 carries, 130 yards. Either eclipsed 2,000 yards or was right near 2,000 yards on the season, which you know set a Wisconsin record, FBS record, I believe, for uh, freshman running backs. So he's he's been great all year, and Miami didn't have any answers for them. And I was really surprised because Miami's defense has done a pretty good job against opposing uh, rushing attacks this year that have been really strong. Um, the Notre Dame game comes to mind uh, right away with Josh Adams and the Irish coming coming down to Coral Gables to play that game, you're thinking, okay, well, Notre Dame, if they establish a running game, they're going to be in really good shape and they could never get it going. And it was a complete opposite in this game. Jonathan Taylor did what he's been doing all year, averaged five yards per carry, didn't get in the end zone, but he really opened things up in the play-action passing game for Alex Hornibrook, who was fantastic. Like you mentioned, no interceptions in this football game. Probably the biggest surprise. I thought that Miami would uh, kind of be a little bit more athletic on defense, and as a result, Alex Hornibrook would you know, make a few more mistakes than he did, but Miami was never really able to slow down the run, Joey. And when they couldn't slow down the run, that really opened things up in the passing game for Alex Hornibrook, who was fantastic. Um, 7.6 yards per completion, 258 yards, 23 of 34 passing and four touchdowns. So, yeah, really weird game. It kind of flipped in the second quarter. Wisconsin, of course, scored 21 unanswered points there in that frame and just really took control of the football game. Their defense was did enough um, in the second half to really get the job done. Even when Miami, you know, made some adjustments after halftime, did a better job on defense in the second half, but they really could never get anything going on offense, and that ended up being the difference in the football game. Miami's last three drives of the first half, two plays, negative five yards interception, three plays, negative one yard punt, three plays, negative two yards punt. In between all there, Wisconsin, three plays, 23 yards, touchdown. 12 plays, 71 yards, touchdown. Nine plays, 62 yards, touchdown. Um, 
you're right that that's that's where the game really turned is when Wisconsin held the ball for almost the entire second quarter and just wore down on the Miami defense a little bit. Um, you know, Miami could not get the ball moving at all after a couple of game opening touchdown drives. And, uh, and that's really where this thing turned a lot. It's funny you bring up the Notre Dame game because that's kind of what comes to mind as well for me of like, you know, how did Wisconsin run the ball as well as they did on Miami, who has, again, as you said, been really good against the run. And I think the difference is the passing game. I mean, Alex Hornibrook took care of the ball well, uh, goes 23 of 34 for 258 and four touchdowns. Like I mentioned, no picks. That's way better than you're going to get from Brandon Wimbush or, or Ian Book out of Notre Dame. So that's yep. that's a pretty big difference. Yep. Um, I, I would say, too, that it was a little strange to me, and I, I don't know how much this is indicative of what we've seen all year long versus, um, you know, something that Wisconsin did particularly well here, but – Miami had uh, Miami's rushing game on offense. They had the ball carried by three players in this game. DJ Dallas, eight carries, 69 yards and a touchdown. Travis Homer, 12 carries, 64 yards and a touchdown. Malik Rozier, nine carries, 41 and, a t- and no touchdowns. If you just look down the column, Mike, and this is going to be super simplified, real dumb analysis. Look down the, the column of long rush, 39, 20, and 20. That's 79 yards on three carries against 29 carries for 174. So take out those three long carries. Comes out to, uh, you know, about half their rushing yards came on three carries, and the other uh, the other half came on 26. Miami really struggling to be efficient in the, pat- in, the uh, in the run game. That didn't help when Rozier was struggling throwing the ball, too. You mentioned, you know, he was not good in this game. Uh, 11 of 26 for 203, a touchdown and three picks. That's That was a mess. Um I am genuinely very curious to see what Mark Richt is going to do about his quarterback situation here moving forward. Um, in particular, I, I feel like from his time at Georgia, we've seen him be very loyal to the, uh, the returning starter type. Um, so Rozier, you figure he's going to come back as a senior. And when he does, I, I kind of expect that Richt will uh, plan to go back to him. But you also start to question, you know, how, how much does that continue to limit what the Miami offense is able to produce week in, week out? Um, is it is it time? Is it smarter for them to go to a Nikosi Perry or some other option that they might have in the arsenal there? So that's kind of what I'm very curious to see moving forward, and something that I thought was pretty exposed in this game. Are we on Jacob Eason watch yet? Uh, officially, or like in like back channel, like those who kind of have their own conspiracy theories. Yeah, you know, something to keep an eye on. I think so. Uh, seems like Jacob Eason might have been unseated at Georgia permanently uh, with Jake Fromm leading the team to the national title game and five-star quarterback and Cam Newton reincarnate Justin Fields coming in yeah. in this new recruiting class. So leading, it might be time for Eason to look elsewhere. Yeah, leading your team to a national title game in relief of the true starting quarterback seems like one way to win a starting job. Yeah, I, I'd say so. That seems fair. I don't know, Mike. This game was strange to me. I, I thought that Miami was going to put up a better showing, um, and, and they came out came out on fire. I mean, the, their first three drives, they missed a field goal, but you know, six plays, thirty three yards, they got it moving. Seven plays, seventy five yards for a touchdown. Two plays, forty five yards touchdown. Like that's a pretty solid start to the game for the offense, and then it just really started to sputter out from there. Um, I was disappointed. I, th- I thought Miami was going to put up a better showing here. Yeah, and it seemed like they, I mean, Miami came out and it really just felt like they weren't necessarily intimidated 
uh, with the way things were going. Uh, they came out, obviously got off to a really fast start, and that was really good. But what ends up happening is you have things, you know, like they have for most of the season, not go your way offensively, and then it starts to slide out of control and spiral out of control. And I think that's what we saw, especially in the second quarter. Yeah, I think so. One last stat that I found here relevant to Wisconsin just sitting on the ball. Wisconsin finishes the game with 39 minutes and 52 seconds of possession. They absolutely wore down Miami in this game. So, in any case, number six, Wisconsin 34, number 10, Miami 24. Moving on, Mike, to the Campin' World Bowl featuring your number two, your number 22 Virginia Tech Hokies, uh, who fell to the number 19 Oklahoma State uh, Pokes or Cowboys, uh, 30 to 21. We talked about this game on the on the preview. Like this was a pretty bad matchup for Virginia Tech, and kind of thought it might be a little bit of a runaway. And I got to tell you, I was really impressed with the Hokies in this game. Uh, you know, at least in the sense that they really had a chance to win this game when it all came down to it. Um, and and if they hadn't missed a couple opportunities here and there, they they would have won it. I don't know. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, I mean, I came into the game with really no expectations whatsoever. Um, I was expecting Tech to really not play all that well. They didn't have Vinny Mahota, a starting defensive end. They didn't have Terrell Edmonds, a starting safety. They didn't have uh, their all-time leading receiver, Cam Phillips, in this game either. He had sports hernia surgery. So, you know, they were really limited. You know, Josh Jackson, he hasn't been himself the second half of the season, and, you know, Maybe he's been hurt. I mean, he just hasn't really looked the same after that Miami game. And Tech hadn't really been able to run the ball all year. So I'm thinking, okay, you're playing against an offense in Oklahoma State that averages over well over 40 points per game, something like 43 or 44 points per game coming into the bowl game. And you don't feel all that great about it um, with you know missing a couple of key players on defense and missing a star player on offense. But the Hokies did a great job in this football game, staying balanced, 248 yards passing from Josh Jackson. He was 22 of 41, um, a touchdown and a back-breaking interception in the fourth quarter. Um, but overall, I thought he played pretty well, looked a lot healthier. Uh, running the football, Virginia Tech did an excellent job. They had 50 carries in total as a team for 248 yards and two touchdowns, five yards per carry um, by all their running backs. Um you know, with the average there, which I thought was really good. They haven't been able to run the ball all year, Joey, so that was really encouraging. Deshaun McLeese, 18 carries for 124 yards. He was huge in the football game. Uh, picked up a lot of key first downs. I thought that was really important. Virginia Tech did a really nice job, especially in the first half with their play calling and keeping Oklahoma State off the field. Obviously, Oklahoma State catches a, you know, it's a huge touchdown catch before half by Marcel Aitman, and, um, you know, he had finished with five catches for 107 yards. They let... Um, you know, they let James Washington get loose, five catches for 126 and a touchdown. You know, Oklahoma State just got things going offensively like you were expecting them to. Um, Justice Hill was too much on the ground. Mason Rudolph took care of the ball, 21 of 32, 351 and two scores. But Virginia Tech was right in this football game up until the fourth quarter when they were down, uh, I believe it was 10 or 11 points. They started chasing points a little bit. They went for two. It was unsuccessful. They threw a bad interception. Drop passes here and there, some uh, some pretty bad penalties, uh, especially on offense. You know, a couple holding calls that really cost them. It was just the little things in this game that cost Virginia Tech. But I think the fact that they were in this game against Oklahoma State is really encouraging because Oklahoma State uh, they were clearly, um, you know, clearly the more proficient team as far as the offense was concerned. They had all their players at their disposal. When you have James Washington, who's 
in my opinion, the best wide receiver in college football. And you have Mason Rudolph, who's a future NFL quarterback, and they're both playing in the game, and they're at full strength against a defense in Virginia Tech that was losing a couple of key playmakers, um, both in the front seven and the secondary. You know, I thought the Hokies held up pretty admirably in the game, and if it weren't for a couple of key mistakes, they might have ended up winning this bowl game. So we knew the spread was weird, um, with Oklahoma State only being like a four-point favorite. Virginia Tech was right in this game the entire way. I was really impressed by that. I was encouraged as a Hokies fan to see that. But, you know, moving forward into 2018, obviously the Hokies are going to have to win the big games. Uh, they finished the season 9-4, and four, obviously not winning the bowl game, and really their biggest win was either against Boston College or 7-5 and five West Virginia. So the Hokies will have to win a big game next year, and they'll have plenty of chances. They welcome Notre Dame and Miami to Blacksburg next season. They also open up the year at Florida State. So the Hokies will have plenty of opportunities next year to win a big game and string a couple together um, to really get this thing moving in the right direction. But overall, I think a pretty solid 9-4 and four season for Justin Fuente in his second year in Blacksburg. Yeah, um, one of the things you mentioned was the Virginia Tech Virginia Tech rushing attack, uh, particularly coming from Deshaun McLeese. I was really impressed there. I mean, that's been something of an issue for the Hokies all year, and they moved the the ball on the ground very well in this game. Um, you know, fifty carries for two forty eight and two touchdowns overall, with again one twenty four that coming from McLeese. I thought that was impressive. Uh, Josh Jackson hung in there pretty well. We were talking about how for, for the Hokies to win this game, he was going to have to play the game of his life. I, I wouldn't say that he did, but he certainly wasn't bad. Um, and I, I thought he, you know, maybe ran out of weapons, wasn't getting a lot of help at times, but both on the ground and, and in the air, I thought he did a fairly good job. Virginia Tech was kind of done in by two things in this game. Uh, one in particular being a couple of big plays, uh, a couple of big throws in particular uh, by Mason Rudolph. Um, there was a 50-yard uh, pass in the second quarter just before halftime uh, that set up a touchdown. And then there was a, a long touchdown pass to James Washington in the third quarter. That gave Oklahoma State a couple of uh, a couple of fairly easy touchdowns that ended up more or less putting the game away. But um, ultimately, yeah, I mean, I, I was impressed by the showing from Virginia Tech compared to what we were expecting here. Um one of the things that I thought the strategy here was brilliant. You know, they, they were clearly keeping Oklahoma State's offense off the field. Uh, they finished with over 38 minutes of possession, and I, I kind of recognized it as I was watching it, noticing, you know, Virginia Tech's second drive of the game, 18 plays, 82 yards, you know, lasted over 10 minutes, and then sadly it ends in a fumble. But, um, you know, it's things like that. I mean, they executed the strategy for the most part. They needed to put the finishing touches on a couple different things, but – um, for the most part, I mean, I, I thought that we got a, a decent showing from Virginia Tech at the very least for what seemed like a bad matchup. So some stuff to build on here, I think, is, is fair to say, uh, although, uh, you know, still some disappointment comes in when it, it's a game that you could have won and you come out, you know, with, with a loss and uh, a few distinct reasons as to why. Yep, and I think it's something to build on, like you said. Hopefully the Hokies will be able to take the positives out of this game and, you know, use that to build on with some momentum heading into next season. Yeah. One of the things I was going to bring up, too, is uh, Mason Rudolph with 351 passing yards in this game. That was his, like, fourth lowest total of the year. Yeah, dude's a freak. That's, he, he's a freak, but it also speaks, you know, to, to Virginia Tech's defense. Like, held up pretty well against what is a pretty gnarly Oklahoma State offense. So, uh, props to Bud Foster for that one as well. Keeping but, them off uh, the field in the first half I thought was huge. 
Absolutely. Totally agree. Uh, anything else, Mike, before we move on? All set here. Well, you know what time it is. Ooh, is that the Wolford Wagon I hear? Uh, that is the Wolford Wagon, and most importantly, that is the Belk Bowl, Mike. It is Belk Bowl time. As uh, I don't know how else to say this. Holy cow. Uh, Wake Forest 55, Texas A&M 52. Hope you don't like defense. S- I, yeah, hopefully not. I'm going to start here and just say that we told you so. This was the day, this was uh, December 29th, Mike, when we said that it might be the most fun set of bowl games you know, of any day of ACC's bowl season. Shoot show shot, buddy. Shoot show shot. And damn it, we were right. This game was wild. I mean, this was exhausting to watch. I don't know about you. This was, it was, what, 38-28 at halftime? Yes. Total shootout. Hit the over in the first half. Good Lord. Which was really nice. This game, 107 points. Uh, I, I... This was this was wild, Mike. Did you? I hope you got a chance to watch this game. Uh, almost in its entirety. Man, it was great. And let me be the first to tell you. Okay, John Wolford, another great game, right? Thirty-two of forty-nine, mm-hmm. four hundred yards, four touchdowns. Let me be the first to tell you that John Wolford, the man who has navigated an unbelievable turnaround at the quarterback position, is going to be so fun to watch as a backup quarterback in the NFL. He's going to be that guy you hear about that's like backing up Aaron Rodgers or like. I, I don't know, Drew Brees for whatever years he has left, or like Tom Brady. Like, John Wolford's going to be one of those guys that comes in in garbage time. He's going to be everybody's favorite quarterback. You're going to be like, oh, yeah, John Wolford. He's the guy that used to go, like, 7 of 37 for, like, 93 yards and four picks and completely turned his career around. Now he's mm-hmm. a potential NFL quarterback, Joey. And not in the sense that he'll be, like, a starter and he's going to blow you away. He's not Josh Rosen or Sam Darnold. He's not going to get the highlights that Baker Mayfield gets or Lamar Jackson. He's not that at all. He's not a huge NFL prospect. I get it. But he's going to find his way onto an NFL roster playing the way that he did this year. There's a team that's going to take a chance on that with that kind of turnaround and the ability that he showed this year and in the bowl game being able to throw the football all over the field. It's just completely remarkable what he was able to do this year. So I just want to get that out of the way real quick. I feel like John Walford is kind of like if Eli Manning weren't a starter. Like, I don't know. I don't know why I picture that, but if, if like Eli Manning were the ultimate underdog story, which he in some ways is, but uh, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. He he'll, he'll make someone happy as a backup quarterback and that's about all he'll ever be in the NFL. Give me that money. Uh, yeah, send that one to at freezing cold takes. Um, but uh, yeah, no, wait, this was a super fun game, Mike. Uh, over twelve hundred yards of offense between these two teams. It's kind of a kind of an embarrassing showing from Wake Forest defense on some level, but um, these teams were were going up and down the field the entire game. Um, super even time of possession here. It was like within a minute of each other, basically. Um, just just really fun. Impressive win by Wake Forest, I thought. You know, that they were able to pull it out. They score a touchdown uh, with about, you know, a little over two minutes to go, uh, capping off a 13-play drive. That's the thing that Wake Forest did in, in this game, too, I thought that was really good, was especially as the game wore on, they created points on some pretty, uh, pretty long, sustained drives. Um, that they were able to do that, I, I was really impressed by. So um, Each team know, had a punt return touchdown, too. I think yeah. that should be mentioned. That was pretty yeah. wild. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, 
Jesse Bates the third has one for uh, Wake Forest in this game. So yeah, and Charles Props. Oliver technically got one too. He like fell on a fumble in the end zone. So you know, call mm-hmm. that what it is. But it goes down in the book as a punt return touchdown. So it sure does. There you go. He'll take it. it sure does. Also, uh, not sure if you saw this, but um, John Walford seems to have figured out this dude named Serenay on his team. Not bad. Uh, speaking of NFL prospects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Cam Serenay coming into this game had one game all year with five with more than five catches. He had nine for 112 yards and a touchdown. I'll take that. Mama, there goes that man, as they say. <laughs> is that what they say? That is what they say. All right, I hadn't heard that one, but sure, that's that'll work. Um, yeah, good win for Wake Forest. I was not expecting A and M to come out and, and put up as much of a fight as they did, but. Um, Good on you, Wake Forest, to uh, to kind of crush their dreams anyways. I think Stark had 63 passing attempts in this game. Good For grief, 400, did. 499 yards, four touchdowns, and a pick. Almost as impressive as John Wolford's numbers. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. I'm not going to lie. Like, throwing the ball 63 times, completing around two-thirds of them and only having one pick, that's that's pretty impressive. Yep. More importantly, A&M ran a combined 94 plays. Wake Forest ran more. They ran 97 plays. Good God. This game took like a year, so and it took years off people's lives. So Just ended about 15 minutes ago. Yes. Wake Forest 55, Texas A&M 52, and yes, that is a final score. Uh, moving on, Mike, the Tax Slayer Bowl. As the uh, number 23 Mississippi State Bulldogs, 31, Louisville 27. I'm I was, sorry. Yes? Yeah. No, it was – not not great. And this is a day after Louisville put up a horrible showing in the Louisville-Kentucky basketball game. So not a great weekend around my house. Uh, Lamar Jackson was had a bad game at, at the wrong time. Um, he This is about as poorly as I've seen Jackson throw the ball, really just in general. He, um, he was just off accuracy-wise. If this is the only time that you've watched Jackson throw the ball and you thought this is the guy that everybody thinks you know can survive the NFL – this is not regular Lamar Jackson. No. He was sailing the ball left and right in this game. Um, ends up with four picks. A couple of them I, I think you could pretty easily argue were on his receivers. Um, one in particular went straight through a receiver's hands and into a defender's hands. Like, I don't I don't put that on Lamar at all. But uh, Louisville's offense had a lot of issues in this game, in particular the, the run game and people not named Lamar Jackson um, and just kind of in general. They also really struggled on defense badly. Uh, Keaton Thompson, the fill-in quarterback for Mississippi State with Nick Fitzgerald out. 27 carries for 147 and three touchdowns, not to mention 11 of 20 passing. Good thing um, he could run the ball because he really couldn't throw it all that effectively. Yeah. All things told, I mean, that, that Louisville w- was almost able to win this game, turn the ball over four times. I mean, give him some credit, but this is this was really a dud of a showing by the Cardinals. I was, I was pretty disappointed in this game. Yeah, um... They didn't have James Hearns, a starting linebacker, uh, the Cardinals. They didn't have starting cornerback Jair Alexander. And it looked like this defense didn't know how to tie their own shoes. It was like... Yeah, you that lose, made a huge difference. Yeah, I mean, you lose two play, two starters, and it completely changes the complexion of your defense. I get that. But I was expecting a better showing out of Louisville in this game. I was surprised by Lamar Jackson because I agree with you. I mean, it wasn't like Lamar Jackson was in a position where when he threw these four interceptions, he was under a ton of pressure. Um, Like you mentioned, I mean, Mississippi State did a pretty nice job getting after Jackson this game um, and making him uncomfortable in the pocket, but 
a lot of the throws that Jackson was missing, it was on Jackson. It wasn't on the pass rush. It wasn't on the fact that the receivers were well covered and he was making bad decisions. He just he sailed a lot of passes. He he missed open receivers. It was just I, I don't know if it was mechanics or what, but I have not seen him miss throws like this in a long time, really since he was a freshman. I was mm-hmm. really taken aback by the performance throwing the ball. Like you mentioned, the four interceptions, uh, you know, put them in a hole, and then they still almost came out of that hole because Jackson did run for 158 yards and a touchdown in this game. Um, and, you know, he's really lucky he was the one running the football because the rest of the roster only had, what was it, 26 and 29 yards total? Mm-hmm. Uh, he was the entire offense in this game like he has been all year. The unfortunate part is that he made a few too many mistakes and that ultimately cost him the ball game. I'm going to tell you right now, Mike, Louisville next year, going 5-7. and seven. Garbage. Maybe. 5-7. and seven. Maybe 5-7. and seven. This, this, this game was a good reminder that Louisville is a bad team with a, you know, a, a generational talent at quarterback. And if, they, if that generational talent doesn't really play like a generational talent, they're not a very good team. Um, Agreed. The other guy I wanted to shout out that I thought absolutely played his tail off in this game and was really impressive was Stacey Thomas on defense. That guy at linebacker was all over the place, um, trying to, to will his team to a uh, to a win here. Was almost able to, but um, overall it was not enough. He can play a little bit. Yeah, yeah, he can. He absolutely can. Um, the other thing you mentioned, talking about again about Lamar kind of sailing some passes and such. I was I was a little curious and and total speculation here, but wondering if some of this was due to an injury or something. Like, it's a thing of Lamar's played enough football and made enough passes and such that his mechanics shouldn't really be significantly changing. And so if all of a sudden, if the ball is just sailing on him like that, I wonder if there's like a shoulder or something that's that's throwing his throwing motion off. And if there was, why is he playing in this game? <laughs> that's yeah, no thing. kidding. Assuming that he is leaving and going to the NFL. I mean, that's we're assuming that's what's happening here. Has no official announcement yet, but... Yeah, no kidding. I, I'm not sure, so... Kind of a concerning game from a couple different angles there, and I, I think Louisville is in fairly hot water going into next year. So, uh, are excited for Jawan Pass? I mean, he's not he's not Lamar Jackson. Let's yes. just say that. Yes. Um. Yeah. If you see Bobby Petrino cutting cutting leave before the you know off season's over, might have something to do with what he's got coming back at Louisville. Just throw that out there. Mississippi State 31, Louisville 27. Moving on to the Sun Bowl, Mike. Uh, another fun one. Number 24, NC State 52, Arizona State 31. This was a another fun game, Mike, and I was impressed with uh, what NC State was able to do coming out. Can I, can I read you the NC State drive chart in this game, please? If you will. Okay. Turnover on downs in, you know, inside the five-yard line, so they almost scored. 15 plays, 87 yards, touchdown. 6 plays, 56 yards, touchdown. 7 plays, 75 yards, touchdown. 5 plays, 49 yards, touchdown. 5 plays, 20 yards, punt. 4 plays, 4 yards, field goal. 12 plays, 80 yards, touchdown. 8 plays, 38 yards, touchdown. 2 plays, 3 yards, touchdown. 3 plays, negative 4 yards, end of game. I, uh, Is that good? I, <laughs> uh, not great, Bob. I hope that... Uh, Arizona State's new CEO, Herm Edwards, hires a defensive coordinator. Yeah, whatever they're doing ain't working. Yeah, that was a mess. That was a mess. Yeah. Uh, NC State really good in this game. 
Uh, Ryan Finley, 24 29 for 318 and a touchdown. Not Can't ask shabby. for a lot more than that. Not too shabby. Uh, the, the team as a whole has 43 carries, comes away with six touchdowns. Naeem Hines has three of them. Reggie Gillespie has two. Uh, those guys were real good. Just a really good day for NC State. Uh, the, the defense kind of, I think, gave in a little bit late, but ultimately, I mean, the game was decided by the fourth quarter. It was 38-10, to 10, you know, on the first play of the fourth quarter. And it was after that that Arizona State actually started scoring to come back. So, um you know, not a big deal there. I think overall is a really impressive effort from the Wolfpack here. Yep, never really all that competitive. NC State did a nice job separating themselves um, from Arizona State in the second quarter. Like you mentioned, strong game for Ryan Finley. He was effective in the passing game and efficient when he needed to be, and the running game really separated them. So good win for NC State. Thought the defense played really well too, um, only giving up 10 points going into the fourth quarter and then resting on your laurels a little bit, but the game was well in hand. I'm curious to see what NC State does next year. They, they're, they're kind of losing some talent. We're, we'll talk about them on the season recap and kind of what's to come. Um, but I thought this game kind of put on display a couple of their, their senior playmakers that may or may not be back next year. So we'll uh, we'll talk about that a little bit coming up. Uh, anything else, Mike, before we move on? Uh, no, I'm all set, man. Are you sure? You want to talk about the pinstripe bowl uh, or you just want to stay on the Sun Bowl for a little yeah, longer? Yeah, pinstripe bowl, gross. This is actually kind of entertaining. Yeah, I mean, in, a, in kind of a sadistic way, I guess. I hope you like defense. <laughs> Iowa 27, Boston College 20 uh, in a game that was not played in the snow but might as well have been. Uh, not real pretty from the uh, Boston College end. Um, three turnovers in this game. They outgain Iowa by almost 200 yards, and they lose, which is never a good sign. Um. <sighs> I don't know. This is disappointing, Mike. I'm not going to lie. They, this game was tied uh, with about five and a half minutes left, and the uh, Boston College gets the ball back. Three plays, fumble. Iowa gets the ball back. Three plays, touchdown. That was the ball game. Yeah, uh, this was disappointing. Uh, let's start with the good. Darius Wade, 16-27, 208. He threw a touchdown pass. That was good. Two interceptions. Not so good. Not good. Um, A.J. Dillon, 32 carries. hundred train? Yep. 157 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Darius Wade, four carries, negative seven yards. That, of course, due to sacks. And he lost a fumble as well. So Darius Wade responsible for all three Boston College turnovers. As well as A.J. Dillon ran the ball and did what he could. Boston College's defense was put in a couple of precarious situations. I thought the defense for Boston College played pretty decently in this football game. They were putting a lot of tough spots due to the turnovers of Darius Wade and the offense. Um, Iowa passing game just really non-existent. Nathan Stanley, 8 of 15, 99 yards and a touchdown this game, but they ran the ball well enough. Akram Wadley, we talked about him in the preview, 22 carries, 88 yards and a touchdown. We knew they were going to give him the ball, Joey, and he only averaged about four yards a rush, but he was effective and effective enough to get the job done. But like you said, this ultimately comes down to Boston College turning the ball over at inopportune times and Iowa capitalizing on those turnovers. That ended up being the difference of the ball game, especially in the second half. You know, it's it's funny, too, thinking about what what Boston College has found in A.J. Dillon as a, as a rushing threat and as decently as their defense has been playing and, you know, having a couple of weapons even on the outside, what could this team be if they had, like, average to above average quarterback play Mike like 
I I didn't think I was going to be saying it, but it seems like Boston College has a little bit of something cooking, especially you know under Adazio and such. Uh, yeah, I wrote an article on Inside the ACC about halfway through the season, saying that I wasn't sure that uh, Steve Adazio was going to be long for the job, and right as that happened, they discovered that they had AJ Dillon and nobody could stop him. So, mm-hmm. uh, it was almost like they read the article. They're like, oh, but wait till you see what we have in our backfield now. Um. Yeah, I don't know. They completely turned it around. The offense was a lot better um, defensively. I mean, they haven't been the defense that they've been in past years, but, I mean, that's no knock. I mean, the Boston College defense has been good for a number of years now under Adazio. It's just a matter of really getting a quarterback to complement that rushing game. Um, if you have Patrick Tolles this year, I mean, Patrick Tolles, he wasn't great at quarterback last year, but mm-hmm. he had more upside as a passer than anybody Boston College trod out there uh, this year. So, Maybe this is a different team if they have a guy like Patrick Tolles, a game manager that doesn't really turn the ball over all that much and it was able to take care of the football. You pair that with a running game and a good defense, you might have something here at BC. Now that you mention that, I bet with this with Pat Tolles on this team, I bet this is at least a nine-win team, Mike. There are two games that were very close that any semblance of a passing threat, I bet they win the game. I think they could have beaten Virginia Tech with a passing game. Um, mm-hmm. That was a really close game. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, BC, you find a quarterback, and that's been the that's been the issue, seemingly since Matt Ryan left. It's mm-hmm. hey, if you get a quarterback, you can still be decent. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens here moving forward for BC. But I think Adazio, I mean, his job is clearly safe. And if they run the ball like this next year, pair it with a good defense, it can get it can get literally anything out of the quarterback position. This is a team that could be in position for eight or nine wins, and with their issues with their facilities and everything that goes on there that is really behind as far as the rest of the ACC is concerned, I think they'll take eight or nine wins with that fan base. Let's move on, Mike. Military Bowl presented by Northrop Grumman. Navy 49, Virginia 7. Holy cow, this is a stinker from the Cavs. Yeah, they're dead. What an embarrassment. They're dead. They had that uh, kickoff return for a touchdown to open up the game, and I was thinking, okay, good start, Virginia, and then they never Mm -hmm. scored again. Not pretty. So. 49-7. 49-7. Not a whole lot to say here. Navy just ran all over him. Attempted one pass. It was incomplete. Um, yeah, Zach Aby came in, a quarterback, the backup. He had four or five touchdowns on the ground. It was, uh, yeah. Whoever Navy trod out there on offense, it worked. What an embarrassment, Mike. Navy finishes with 452 yards of offense, and every inch of it came via rushing. Like, that is... <laughs> wow. Um now, I, I mean, I guess I understand a little bit that it was real cold out, and so Virginia couldn't get a whole lot in the passing game. But overall, I mean, this is not like a dominant Navy team. I mean, they, this this win finished them at 7-6, and six, and that's coming out of the AAC. And, you know, they, they lost the second straight year to Army and all that. But, like, Virginia just had no answer for anything on either side of the ball the entire game after the opening kickoff, which I, I don't get it. I don't know how this happened. This is a giant, you know, a giant sore spot in the resume of Bronco Mendenhall, if you ask me. Yeah, I mean, Malcolm Perry, at quarterback for Navy, 16 carries, 114, two touchdowns. Zach Aby, like I mentioned, 13 carries, 88 yards, five touchdowns. And that's all the scoring for Navy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, they laid an egg. Kurt Benkert wasn't very good, 16 of 36, 145 in interception. Uh not great, Joey, um, for your final game when you can't throw on Navy. So, yeah. I don't know. This is this is a really bad loss for Virginia. There's no other way to really slice it. It was Ben Kurt's worst performance of the year. 
he was better against Virginia Tech than he was against Navy, and I think it's fair to say that Virginia Tech's better defense. So not really a good time to come out and lay an egg like that. Um, just an embarrassing loss and, and one that was not helpful when talking about the entire ACC's record in bowl games, and we'll get to that here in just a minute. Uh, but for now, Mike, we got two more to talk about. First of all, the Walk-Ons Independence Bowl, Florida State 42, Southern Miss 13. Hey, James Blackman. Hey, uh, you're a quarterback? He's a uh, he's he's quarterback. Play, he's all right. You play you play uh, the football here. He seems that way some days. <laughs> yeah, some days. Eighteen to twenty, eighteen to twenty six for two thirty three, four touchdowns, no picks. Uh, that's a good showing from him. I'll take it. It was the running game was good too. Cam Akers thirteen carries, ninety four yards. Jacques Patrick, welcome back, sixteen carries, sixty four yards, and a touchdown. Mm-hmm. That was enough to get the job done. It wasn't always pretty, but 23-6 to six at half, and they kind of coasted in from there. Yeah, Florida State outgained Southern Miss by almost 200 yards, uh, outpossessed them, you know, 37 minutes to 23 minutes. No turnovers on the game for the Seminoles. This was about as complete of a performance as we've seen them put together this year, regardless of opponent, although it is worth mentioning that it was Southern Miss and not, you know, Florida or Clemson or something, so... Keep you know it's all all in context here. Um, also worth mentioning they were you know playing for an interim coach, so I don't know still if that was a good thing or a bad thing, but it doesn't seem to have hurt. That's for sure. Um, so good showing for Florida State. We'll see what's to come under Willie Taggart next year. That's really all I got there. So we can yeah we can move on from that uh that game. I tried to watch as little of that as I could to be quite honest with you. Yeah, I did too, and it worked. Um, Last game, Mike, quick lane bowl, Duke 36, Northern Illinois Daniel 14. Jones. Is that you? Hey, Daniel Jones. Is that you? Uh, that was good, Daniel Jones. And um, I, I, I spent some time trying to figure out, you know, not only that game, but also in the Florida State game, how is it that some of these quarterbacks, Mike, there's like a good version and there's a bad version, and they're allowed to wear the same jersey number. Like, it's like they're different people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this version of Daniel Jones was what you and I were expecting this year. Mm-hmm. And we only got this Daniel Jones maybe two or three times the entire season. Yeah, uh, not a lot. Yeah, big reason why they're 7-6 and six is because Daniel Jones didn't play great, neither did that offensive line. But it all seemed to kind of come together in this game. 252, two scores. He had 86 yards on the ground. Sean Wilson, a nice game, 16 carries, 75 yards and a touchdown. The defense did enough to get the job done. Uh, they held Northern Illinois down for the most part. Marcus Childers had a decent game, 234, and a touchdown through the air, but they limited his rushing ability in this game. We mentioned in the preview that Childers was a pretty solid dual-threat quarterback for Northern Illinois, but he only had 11 carries for 19 yards, so pretty good showing by that Duke defense to shut down that aspect of the Northern Illinois offense to try to make them as one-dimensional as possible. But good Daniel Jones in a solid defense ended up being enough to get the job done here. Yeah, not bad. I mean, Duke outgains Northern Illinois by over 150 yards. Um, really just another uh, dominant performance from, from Duke in this bowl game. So well done to the Blue Devils after salvaging bowl eligibility when they did. Uh, it was a good way to kick off bowl season for the ACC. Mike, overall, the conference did not finish out bowl season all that hot. Wasn't great. Uh, no, not not great at all. Uh, Duke, one of only four ACC teams to win their bowl games out of, I believe, ten. Uh, that puts the conference at four and six. Uh, so not ideal, not what you look for. Are you concerned about it? Uh, not really. You? No, nah, not really. Okay. Not really. Cool. I mean, I kind of look at this as like there were a couple of bad matchups in there that we knew about, and that's fine. Um 
really there was only one or two that just totally laid an egg, you know, where, where they shouldn't have. Um, I, I look at Virginia for there, like, you really had no business losing that game by 42 points. If you get beat, that's one thing. Looking like you just don't belong in the same field as Navy is a totally different discussion. Um, Not great for their first bowl game since 2011 either. Yeah, and, and I think Louisville is a little bit of, you know, the ghost of Christmas future, which I don't know if that's a thing or not, but it's now. if it is, yeah, it's it, it. look, when Lamar's gone, Louisville's in trouble. And, and I think that was a little bit of what we saw in this game. You know, without, without Jair Alexander and James Hearns, you know, I, I think that's kind of what's rearing its ugly head here. So you could take away a little bit of it, but ultimately, I mean, does it mean that the ACC is not really all that good in the grand scheme of things? Nah, not really, not necessarily. So I'm not too worried about it. I mean, the SEC sucked all year. They got two teams in the national championship. Just, I mean, they're top heavy, right? So uh, it all comes out in the wash, Joey. God, how about that I, for a lead? I'm not ready for this, Mike. Okay, so look, uh, we are nothing if not a college football podcast. Um, you can make actually a lot of arguments as to what we are or aren't, but. Uh, we do, we, well, you know, it's probably worth our while to briefly, just for a couple minutes here, talk about the national title game. Uh, we have Alabama, victors over uh, our own Clemson Tigers, going to be representing the SEC against the SEC's Georgia Bulldogs, Ooh. who uh, won a thriller of a game against Oklahoma that made me sick to my stomach. One of the best games I've ever seen, Joey. It was it was a magnificent game. Um it really was. It's irritating hating Georgia like I do that, you know, Oklahoma couldn't finish the drill. And I do feel like Oklahoma lost that game a little more than Georgia won it. But oh, yeah. In any case, uh, number three, Georgia against number four, Alabama for the national title is coming Monday. Uh, while we're discussing that, we'll probably bring up that uh, as we did last year, we're going to jump on uh, the Mark Rogers TV YouTube channel after the game and do a little bit of a live podcast recap kind of deal. So, Please tune into that. But Mike, as you as you look into that game, kind of what's your expectation? What's your pick for who's going to win here? Yeah, um, my pick's Alabama. Nick Saban's eleven and zero against assistants, former assistants. Um, that's oh, been that's well publicized. Uh, yeah, not great. Um, I expect that to continue. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I. I think Jake Fromm has played great for Georgia. Um, I think Georgia's running game presents Alabama with quite the challenge. But uh, you know, you know, obviously Georgia's running backs with Sonny Michelle and Nick Chubb are a lot better than uh, Clemson's backs. But with that being said, I mean Clemson's got a lot of athleticism in the backfield that Alabama just completely shut down. And I worry about that with Georgia because as good as Jake Fromm has been for Georgia, he's still a true freshman, and that really concerns me going up against the Nick Saban defense. Alabama's defense is playing too well right now. Um, Georgia just gave up a ton of points. I think Georgia still has a good defense, but they gave up a million points to Oklahoma. That's not to say that Alabama has the same offense that Oklahoma has. They they don't, but I think you know you force Jake Fromm into a couple mistakes, you get a short field, and then all of a sudden you have the type of game that we just saw in the Sugar Bowl where you know Georgia's keeping it close, and then you turn around and they're down three scores. So... I think that's kind of how this game goes. I think Georgia keeps it relatively close, but I think the offense will have some issues getting things going uh, just because they are, I mean, they try to throw the football, but, you know, they are a run-heavy team, and that's Alabama's strength is stopping the run. So I like Alabama's defense to force a couple turnovers, set up a couple short field opportunities, and 
and get some get a couple scores here to really separate themselves. I think it's pretty low scoring, Joey. I uh, wouldn't be surprised to see it turn out a lot like the Clemson game did. Uh, let's call it 24 to 10, Alabama, for the fifth time in nine years. Gross. Yeah, I don't mind that. Dude, and by the way, if it means Alabama winning five titles in nine years and Georgia not winning one since 1980, I'm here for it. I'm good with it. I do not want to live in a world where Georgia are national champions. So, um, I, I'm with you, though. I, I Alabama seems like a slightly upgraded version of Georgia. Um, Alabama is just about by a like a you know an absolute mile the best defense that Georgia will have played all year. Um, the the biggest problem that Georgia has faced is when they go up against defenses that can stop the run, and Alabama will stop the run all night long, you know, and, and just keep going until you get tired of running the ball. Um, so, you know, for for Michelle and Chubb to go for 250 yards in this game would shock me, unless it's like a six overtime kind of game. Like I don't know where that's all going to come from, and that means at some point they're going to have to throw the ball and. and I think Georgia's defense kind of a bit of an Alabama clone. Like they kind of work the same way, meaning Alabama is going to have to throw the ball. And when, when these teams are forced to throw the ball, I trust in uh, Jalen hurts a lot more than I trust in uh, Jake Fromm. you know, hurts has been there before. He's a lot more consistent. Uh, he's, he's proven that when relied on as a passer, he can do it. And at the very least he can keep his team in a game and a game of this magnitude. I mean, he can go and win it. Uh, Jake Fromm has been nothing but a sideshow to Michelle and Chubb. And until he proves to me that he can go out and throw 35 passes, 40 passes and win a game because Georgia doesn't have a run game. I'm just, I'm not going to have faith in it. Um, I think this is a slugfest kind of a game. I think a a turnover or two could really decide it. Um, Somebody gets a short field and scores points. Like you mentioned, very similar to the Clemson game here against Alabama Um, A short field or two could really help decide the game. So, um, you know, we'll see which team makes a mistake and which team blinks first. But I'm with you. I pick Alabama to win this game. I like the low scoring thing, maybe a little higher than you mentioned. Uh, Let's go Alabama uh, 24-17. I think it's fairly close. Uh, But Georgia scores a few points in there. A few more than uh, Clemson was able to. At the very least, I I, yep. I think I trust Georgia's ability to run the ball a little more than what we got out of Clemson in that game. Hey, keep it close. It'll be entertaining. That's all we're asking for. Yeah, I think that's fair. Mike, anything else before we get out of here? I think we're all set, Joey. This has been a sweet bowl recap. Not bad. Hey, I mean, we covered everything we needed to. Hopefully nobody yeah. uh, nobody's upset with what we said, but, you know, <laughs> it is what it is. They probably are. They usually are. Uh, speaking of which, we did get an email from Andrew Parker. Thank you. Uh, we got some questions in there that I thought were very uh, intriguing questions. We'll probably get to that next time. Uh, we kind of ran long on this one, longer than we were planning to. So uh, we do appreciate that email. If any of y'all uh, other listeners want to send us something with questions, comments, concerns, please do so. Uh, you can send it all to the longest email address, known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Man, that was just, I just like transitioned right into that. How about that? Uh, y'all can find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He's at Mike McDaniel ACC, and together we're at BC Podcast ACC. Uh, y'all can find us on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, the Overcast app, and other places. Uh, Mike, where else can they find us on the social medias? Facebook.com/slash Basketball Conference. Rate, review, find all of our podcasts there. Hell yeah, Mike. Where else can they find your sweet new works? 
CFB-Saturday.com. I started a new website over the weekend, College Football Saturday, covering the entire country now. So go check that out. I could mm-hmm. use some readers. Yeah, because we know more than just the ACC. Not not much more, but we, it, more. <laughs> we pretend to, anyway. <laughs> I mean, don't we all? Uh, Mike, anything else? You, uh, you want to come back and uh, talk about the national title game on Mark Rogers TV on Monday night after the game is For over? For sure. For sure. Let's do I'm this. Pumped. Yes. Putting the season to bed. Moving on to some... Uh, we're going to move on to some season recaps after that. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll kind of see where this takes us into the offseason. It's been a good season, though. I, I thought we did a, a pretty decent job covering the conference. Conference did all right. Not the best, but, you know, okay. I just can't believe it's almost the offseason again. I mean, it is for the ACC officially, but can you believe it? We're back into this mode where we got to, like, figure out what to do for the next nine months. It went real fast. Like, real fast. I, you know, I kind of can't believe it's over, but, you know, here we are. Yep, it's a bummer. Ah, all right. Well, we'll yeah. recap the national championship and just live in a world where there's college football year-round. Hell yeah, we will. Mike, it's been real. We will talk again soon. Sounds good, bye. All right. Well, until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. And until then, go ACC. Yeah.